2: we want to stay with a question a little bit longer. It's a question we actually started in yesterday's program as we talked about how the younger generation of Americans uh, seem to be souring a little bit on the idea of the United States as a world leader. Uh, In fact, many of the younger generations uh, are souring on the idea of America altogether. Uh, but the question then becomes, what would the world look like without the U.S. leading the way? And here to help us break that all down, Zed Jelani a freelance journalist. He writes a newsletter on politics and current affairs. You can find that at inquiremore.com. Great reader, great thinker. Zed, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, great to be here. So as you started to, uh, to analyze this and uh, break this down, uh, you even share a little bit of your own experience going back to the Iraq War. Uh, tee us up with that a little bit to kind of paint the picture.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important uh, to acknowledge or recognize that for a certain generation of folks, particularly millennials, the age bracket I'm in, I'm in the older group of millennials now. But for people who are born in, I would say, the 1990s or or late 80s, um, a lot of those people, I think, they came of age viewing American foreign policy largely through the lens of post 9/11 activity. So the Iraq War, I think, is front and central in that, and sort of the the malaise that that generated, right The, the sort of the questions about why america went to iraq the consequences of it the, the sustained duration of the war went on years for years and, and has continued to have verifications throughout the middle east and on american foreign policy i think many young americans uh had an understandable skepticism about american foreign policy and about american uh, participation in global affairs following that war because i think the war really sort of uh, backfired a lot of people who started i think that there is a a deep skepticism about American participation in any kind of overseas organizations or international participation, particularly when it comes to actually using our power, um, whether it be military or diplomatic. And I think that does color a lot of the way that the younger generation in the U.S. views these things. You can look at polls from the Chicago Council on Public Affairs and other places showing that millennials generally support much less American presence in the world. and more skeptical of military spending, they're more skeptical um, overseas involvement. And I think that, that that war really has a lot to do with it. Um, but what I what I argued, and I wrote this piece for City Journal called Pondering World Without Us, is that we need to be able to take a longer view here as well, because, um, you know, the world doesn't necessarily revolve around the United States. We're increasingly in a multipolar world. And I think people are witnessing that with the war in Ukraine by Russia, but also the rise of China, right, which is at a point where it's almost equal to us in economic power as becoming increasingly assertive and aggressive overseas in its international relations. Uh, And the reality is is that there are other people on the world stage besides the United States. The question really isn't a matter of, you know, should we be there or not? The question is more like, how should we respond to that? Because if we don't fill certain vacuums, other people will. Um, So that kind of leaves us with a choice in terms of how we should be approaching things. And we should consider the possibility that sometimes it's actually worth it for the United States to engage in places in the world Uh, We can be constructive. It doesn't always turn into a giant uh, morass or mess.
2: Yeah, so as you as you look at that and and you look at that uh, process of, of looking at uh, you know what what does happen if the if the U.S. retreats uh, or withdraws altogether from some of these things, I I do agree that uh, one I think we should always have some healthy skepticism when it comes to uh, to government whether that's international or whether that's local. Uh, we right. should, we should always have a little bit of that going on. Uh, but as you evaluate it in terms of the of the world stage and how we should view that lens, uh, maybe just a little. Bit pulled back uh, from the the here and now in the in the heat of the moment. Uh, what are some of the things that you've looked at? What are some of the implications uh, in terms of our view of what, where the United States should be in the world?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I mentioned earlier that you know China is a rising power in the in the world. Uh, certainly during this war in Ukraine, they seem to taken an almost uh, ambivalent stance or even maybe even somewhat supportive of Russia. They're, they're not doing international sanctions against Russia, for instance, and that's a big deal because they're, they're now one of the world's largest production economies, and in, in peer purchasing power, I think they're actually very close to the United States now in terms of their size of their economy. Uh, China has gotten much more served on the world stage to where, for instance, uh, they've been doing a lot of their vaccine diplomacy, deploying vaccines all over the developing world, and in a couple of instances, there were countries that disagreements with them about issues like the Uyghurs or issues about Taiwan, and China actually threatened their access to vaccines, right? Uh, and I think part of the reason China was able to do that is because the United States, we didn't step up quickly enough, right, to be the, the kind of main vaccine provider in some of these cases. And in some things, we kind of played catch up, and we did get there at, at a certain point. Um, but it kind of shows that rival powers in the world also want to influence other countries. They also want to assert their interests and sometimes their values. And when the United States doesn't do it, when we're not active in places like Latin America building those diplomatic and economic ties, China could be there or Russia could be there. There are other powers in the world. And I would argue that for all of our flaws, we are still preferable to a lot of those other powers because I think, for instance, we actually do consider things like human rights. Like there really isn't a human rights policy in China, right? Like they'll deal with anyone in the world in a very transactional manner. Um, And of course, we have our fair share of ignoring human rights at times uh, for other interests. But I think that the, the positive part about America, and this isn't just an international thing; it's a domestic thing, is that we're an ever-evolving uh, society, right? We're constantly trying to get better. We're constantly criticizing ourselves when we mess up, and we're—I think—we're we're getting to a better place over time. You know, the, the arc of history uh, ben Story toward justice. That old quote. Whereas I don't think that the, the Chinese political system or the Russian political system really allow for those things, right? They don't really allow for self-correction or evolution the same way the American was one does. And I think you can see this when we do uh, international polls. So like Pew, uh, polling agency does polls all over the world. And when they've asked countries, even in Latin America that some somewhat of a bad history uh, of relations with the U.S., they ask them, who do you prefer to lead the world, China or America? And even in some of those countries, like Brazil, uh, most people prefer America uh, or more people prefer America than prefer China to lead the world. So I think in most of the world wants to see American leadership. It doesn't mean they agree with everything that we do, uh, but they do want to see us step up in a lot of these situations because they've seen the alternative, right? I think the Ukrainians have seen the alternative, Eastern Europeans have seen the alternative, many of China's neighbors have seen the alternative. And, and, the, and the, the, the third part of this is also that there are many countries that are just very poor that are very easily pushed around by powers like China. And uh, those countries really don't have the will to, act, to assert themselves in these situations. Like, for instance, India uh, has come up, I think it came up today in the White House press briefing. Uh The press secretary the White House was kind of scolding them, saying, why aren't you doing more against Russia, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, it's a poor country where a lot of people live uh, hand to foot. You know, they don't have very much, they have a very high illiteracy rate. They really can't afford to cut off Russia very much, right? But a rich country like the United States, we can take more economic and diplomatic action. We do have some breathing room to do it, right? So I also think just the fact that we're such a powerful country, Make, kind of makes us responsible in a lot of these situations, right? Because some of the poorer countries just don't have the power to influence these events. Yeah,
2: and that's such an important uh, component to factor in is is who can <laughs> the 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 ability to uh, and and then who will you know, who has the willpower and the and the motivation to actually do it. So both a skill power and a willpower uh, component to all of that. And uh, there's one point that you brought up, Zed, that I, I think is really interesting uh, in terms of how. The United States has handled, particularly what's been going on in Ukraine. Uh, there's been a lot more of kind of the U.S. leading from the middle as opposed to uh, leading from the front on some of these uh, kinds of things, and and sometimes that works, and sometimes it's, it's a disaster uh, in terms of the outcome. Uh, but as you as you look at that, as you, uh, I love how you said that we can continue to progress and grow, that we can follow that arc that bends towards justice uh, over time, where some of these uh, regimes just aren't going to bend at all uh, under uh, authoritarian rule. Uh, So what are you looking for in terms of next, uh, in terms of America's place in the world? Yes, we have flaws and faults uh, aplenty. Uh, We don't need to articulate all of those today. But where is it that we should be going and, and how should we be viewing ourselves here in the United States?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I think one of the things where we're seeing a big rethink, and I think this started really when Trump became president, um, and it's continued under, to some extent, under Biden, which is the relationship with China. Uh, and if you go, if you roll back the tape like 20 years, uh, many Americans had imagined, maybe even hoped, that by opening up economically to China, increasing our trade ties, having more investment there, that we would end up liberalizing the country. That it would become less of a dictatorship, become more democratic, more open. Uh, what China has proved is that you can become a very rich country, but still have a very closed system, right? Uh, if anything, they become slightly more oppressive during that period of time. Uh, so this suggests that, you know, we need a rethink of our relationship with China, which is very difficult because so much of our business elite and so much of our top tier corporations are invested in China to where uh, I can't think of the last Hollywood movie, for instance, that had like Chinese government portrayed as an antagonist, uh, which is very unusual if you think about it, because throughout the Cold War, we had dozens of movies about Russian antagonists, right? right. But Ho- Hollywood's all very invested in China and there's a huge market there, right? So like it's a very difficult problem to tackle. I don't know exactly how we're going to come to grips with it, but I think it starts by understanding that we haven't really made China more free place. In fact, like China is now much more empowered to be mm-hmm. active overseas, uh, in many different countries and in many, in some ways, I think making them less free, by making them beholden to Chinese interest. Um, so I think that as Americans, we need to think seriously about, you know, what can we do about this? How can we make it so that, you know, uh, we don't have the reverse situation that we imagined 20 years ago, which is that we didn't make China more like, us. China's making us more like them, right, by forcing mm-hmm. our companies to self-censor and, and sort of getting so integrated into China that we really can't influence a lot of these policies that go against our values. So I think I think that's the really big challenge that's going to be for us in, in the coming century anyway.
2: Uh, fantastic. Great insight. Uh, Zed Jelani, freelance journalist. You can uh, read his uh, stuff at inquiremore.com. Uh, Zed, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks. We're going to step aside for one last commercial break. I think there's some important stuff there that we've got to break down in terms of our role in the world. Uh, We are not perfect. We have our flaws. Uh, But is there a better alternative? And what is the impact if the U.S. retreats from the world stage? We'll talk about it in our final thoughts coming up after the break.
0: It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison.
1: Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up.